Well, good morning. Preach you in Jesus' name. Gotta love to see a father and son team, right? Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you for the singing. Thank you for being here. It is a blessing, and I trust that we can continue in worship as we look into, into God's Word. I'm curious, does anyone know what holiday is today? Okay, somebody said it, Pentecost, yes. I was hoping somebody wouldn't say, we're in the yellow, <laughs> although some of us probably feel that way. Today is Pentecost Sunday. Not very many calendars reflect that or make a notation of that anymore. Uh, some groups celebrate it very diligently, and I would like to just... Uh, share a few thoughts on Pentecost this morning. Pentecost, what happened on Pentecost, what does it mean? First, a little bit on the, the meaning and the history and the significance. And then I'd like to, at the end of the message, I'd like to switch gears and just make some real practical applications on uh, how Pentecost or the coming of the Holy Spirit or the work of the Holy Spirit should affect our lives. So I guess if you want a title, I'm going to title it. It's a little longer than I, than I like, but God's gift of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, very simply. So we're going to look at God's gift. And you can turn with me to Acts chapter 2. That's the, the verse where we find our, the word Pentecost and our text, Acts chapter 2. You know the setting, the... I think there was approximately 120 people gathered together, and it was after Jesus ascended into heaven, Jesus ascended 40 days after, after the death and the resurrection, and then it was, the, it was, it was a 10-day 10 10 day period of waiting, and that's exactly what they were told to do. They were told to go to Jerusalem and wait, and they were waiting, and I'm sure they were worshiping. And the Bible says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then it goes on to say, and it gives you the story how people, there were so many people from different languages gathered there, and they were just marveling how these folks from Galilee were speaking all these languages, and God just simply arrested all their attention, and he set up his spokesman, Peter, with, who gave a, a dynamic sermon rehearsing Israel's history, coming right down to pointing to them for crucifying Jesus, and preached the death and the resurrection of Christ. And at the end of the sermon, in verse 37, 
after they heard, the multitude heard it, they were pricked in their hearts. In other words, something happened in their hearts. They were convicted. There was like a prick went into their hearts. And they just, they felt so empty and wanting to do something. They said, what men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that's the text kind of summarized. We have the beginning, the first verse where it tells us that it was the day of Pentecost and what happened and the results and Peter giving the message and the, the command was very clear. It was repent and be baptized, which would indicate believing, adhering, to the doctrine of Christ and following him, and then they will receive the gift of the, of the Holy Spirit. So let me just talk just a little bit about Pentecost, and then we'll, we'll get into the, the work, of, work of the Holy Spirit. So Pentecost simply means 50th. That's what the word Pentecost means. So Pent 5, I guess Pentecost, I don't know if 50, if the, the cost part of it means 10, but we're familiar with Pentagon, five sides. So Pentecost carries the idea of 50. Now, this is, this has some uh, rich meaning in Israel or Jewish history. I'm not going to take the time to go back to Leviticus 23, but I'd sure be tempted to. And maybe I should have put a, a, an overhead slide of Leviticus 23 summarized. But Leviticus 23 basically tells us the feasts of the Lord. And I would encourage you to, I'm going to make a few uh, suggestions as I go along, passages that would be very advantageous to read. And one of them would be Leviticus 23. It basically goes over the feasts of the Lord, and it, uh, they're commanded to proclaim those feasts at the appointed times. I'm going to summarize Leviticus 23. There's seven feasts. First of all, the feast of the Passover. And this is way back. God's telling his people to remember these events and re remember them by, by celebrating them with a feast. So the first one was the feast of the Passover. The second one is the feast of the unleavened bread. The third one is the feast of first fruits. The fourth one is the feast of Pentecost or no, also known as the feast of weeks. And then it's the Feast of Trumpets, and then it's the Day of Atonement, and then it's the Feast of Tabernacles. So those are the seven feasts that you're going to find in Leviticus 23. Now, the Feast of the Passover we're familiar with, right? That was for, for God's people to remember the night where the angel passed over. Well, prior to that, the innocent lamb was killed the perfect innocent lamb that they took into their homes and treated like a pet. And then one night they killed that lamb and that took that innocent, precious blood of the lamb and put it over the doorpost. And imagine how that looked in, sight, in, in light of a, a, a child looking on. But we know the story. We know what happened. We know that that, that was the seventh, that was the 
the final plague that God was going to bring on the, the Egyptians who were holding them, his people in bondage. And the death angel came and took the eldest of every house except those that had the blood on the doorpost. And extremely symbolic. Now, incidentally, no, I should say providentially, what day would Jesus die on? Jesus died on Passover. And by the way, these feasts are very interesting. The, the Passover feast was Friday, the day before the Sabbath. The first, I mean, sorry, the, the unleavened bread was on the Sabbath, or Saturday. And the first fruits was on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Is that interesting? So we have the Passover uh, celebrated on, on, on a Friday, and it's the very day that Jesus shed his perfect innocent blood. So as all of that was unfolding, it was pointing forward to something that was incredible. Now, I don't have too many comments on the, the feast of the, the unleavened bread, but I learned some things about the feast of the first fruits, which was on on the the first day of the week, which was which was what we know as Sunday, okay, the day after the Old Testament Sabbath. So on this day, the farmer would go out in his field and he would, at a few random spots, uh, cut some of his crop and bring it and put it like in a sheath. And the priest would, would wave it before the Lord. It was like a wave offering. So really what it was doing, now there's, more, there's folks here that have more farmer blood in them than me, but there's something about going out into a field and getting a little bit of a crop and bringing it in and said, now according to this, we're going to have a pretty good harvest. And that's kind of the tone that was felt at the feast of the first fruits, which was Sunday. Incidentally, which day would Jesus rise again from the dead? So the Passover was Friday, the unleavened bread was Saturday, and then, was, and then came the Feast of the First Fruits, which, which is Sunday. We know 1 Corinthians 15. We know that Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. Draw the analogy in your mind. So you get back to the farmer that goes out and cuts a little bit of his crop down and says, that's pretty good evidence of a of a harvest that's coming, and it's waved before the Lord. Does that get you a little bit excited about the, the, the first fruits of the resurrection, which Jesus is? There's going to be a pretty serious harvest when we get to experience the our part in the glorious resurrection. And... I think, I think the Lord is pretty ex a lot more excited than the farmer was waving his little bit of barley or wheat or whatever in the sense of a, a crop that's coming, but a harvest of, 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 of blood-bought saints that is, is coming. So that, was, that happened on the, on the Feast of the First Fruits. So we have three feasts, three consecutive days, Passover, and then it was the unleavened bread, and then it was the first fruits. The next feast happened, and, and you go back to Leviticus 23, it tells you to count seven weeks, 49 days, 
uh, I'm not quite sure how it, how it's exactly worded, but fast forward 50 days from Passover. And then you have another feast called the Feast of Weeks where they didn't go out, I'm, I'm sorry, they, they went out and brought in grain again, but this time they didn't bring it and put it in a sheath and wave it to the Lord. They brought the grain in and they were commanded to add yeast, grind it up, make bread, and then have a feast. I, I don't know if you're getting excited and I don't know if you can follow all of that, but there's, there's, I believe there's extreme significance between the, the first fruits where they just took it and waved it, and then they, 50 days later, they went out and, and got some more, ground it up into one. There's no individuality. It's ground up into one unit, and it's baked into bread, and that was the feast of of Pentecost, if you will. So, I, I, get a, I got a little excited when I saw this. Now, get this one. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna throw this out to you, and you can go uh, study it and and get excited. The next feast was the feast of trumpets. Hmm. That's the next thing on the agenda. The Pentecost feast clearly was the birth of the church. And the next feast, I believe, did uh, what it symbolizes maybe didn't, maybe didn't happen. Because we kind of know there's going to be a sound of a trumpet. We know that the Lord's going to descend, and what a, a glorious day that will be. So I suggest that the, the feasts of the, the trumpet and, and the tabernacle and... I missed one, the Day of Atonement, that is maybe signifying future events, but that's pretty exciting. So let's come back to, to uh, Pentecost. God's Spirit came, empowered the believers. What a day that was. Maybe I'll have, maybe make a comment about the word suddenly. Sometime if you want to, maybe you're preparing a topic or something, uh, you want, should I give you a title, an interesting study? Just use the word Suddenly appears 41 times in the Bible, and it comes upon us, you're reading along, and suddenly something happens. It's like God likes to do things suddenly. Suddenly, there was with the angel. Paul was on his way to Damascus. Normally, suddenly. Paul and Silas in jail, singing at midnight, suddenly. And there's a whole host of other suddenlies, but the one that really got my attention was Jesus, I think, used it one time when he said, Watch, lest I come suddenly and find you sleeping. So they were just doing what the, what the Lord told them to do. They were waiting here in, the, in Acts chapter 2. And suddenly it happened. Now, I don't think it was a result of their praying I don't, it was, I don't even think it was a result of uh, whatever they were doing. This was God's timetable, and it was happening, and it was going to happen no matter what. And they happened to be right in tune as they obeyed. Isn't that exciting? To me, that's, that's exciting. I, there's a lot of things I don't understand, 
And if you'd have asked Peter and his Peter and friends about what all was going to happen, they wouldn't have had a clue, but they were doing what they knew to do. And suddenly, and I think our suddenly day is soon coming. Well, suddenly it came. And they started speaking in, in languages that, that people did not understand. And it was an exciting event. I will say this. I did quite a bit of studying on this and interesting where people come out on, on, on this passage. But there was a, there was a theme on, on, on respected authors that I think have, have a handle on the Bible. And the theme came like this. Be careful where you build your doctrines. One went as far as to say is, the book of Acts is a great book, and I would echo that. It's an incredible book. But the book of Acts is not primarily where you go to build doctrine. Now, I know I could get in trouble by saying that because you can get incredible doctrine out of the book of Acts, but imagine if you take every one of our experiences with the Lord and you would build a doctrine and expect everyone else to have that exact same experience. Imagine the, the difficulty where, where we would be with that kind of a mindset or perspective. Imagine the, uh, the Philippian jailer who came to the Lord or after a midnight song and imagine, imagine saying, okay, if you don't, if you don't sing at midnight and have an earthquake, I really don't think you're saved. God, through the Holy Spirit, will do various things at various times for various reasons. And in this situation, he wanted people, his people, to speak languages that were not understood. I mean, that they didn't learn. And, and uh, it had an incredible effect. And then Peter stood up and gave a sermon that was, in, that was dripping with doctrine. And when he came to the point about repent and be baptized, everyone in the name of Jesus, that's where you get doctrine. I hope that, I hope that, uh, that makes, makes sense. So what I'd like to do now in the, in the final part of the message is to uh, flip back a few pages in your Bibles to John 16, where Jesus told his disciples exactly what was going to happen and I'm going to pull out a few points about the practical work of the Holy Spirit so you can turn back in your Bibles a few pages to John 16 so we're going to drop into an emotional meeting the disciples were very sad I would have been too your hero or your leader says I'm leaving but I'll send you a comforter so, in verse, actually in chapter 15 is where you first get the, get the illusion. In verse 26, it says, But when the Comforter is come, I will, send you, I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So we have Jesus in this emotional meeting. The disciples were sad, telling them some very clear things about the Holy Spirit. It kind of... Uh, took me back on memory lane to a class I was in one time and the instructor said, okay, roll call today. 
And incidentally, that day we were studying the Holy Spirit. So he said, everybody, instead of saying your name, your roll call, I would like to give you, you just give me a word how you would describe the Holy Spirit. Uh, well, how would you describe his work? And that was an interesting uh, uh, beginning to a class. Yeah, I'd be curious. I won't take the time to do it, but if I'd start, go back through and get everybody to give me one word, how you would describe the work of the Holy Spirit. I wonder what word, what word you would choose. Actually, I'll open it up for a minute. You want to throw one out, do it. Patient. Say it again. Patient, Patient. okay. Long-suffering, good. Encourager. Say it again. Encourager. Encourager. Anybody else? Direction. Direction. You're nailing them. Indwelling. Convicting. Convicting. I remember sitting there in the classroom. I was one of the first ones. Oh, shoot, which, what should I say? What should I, you, you, don't know, you know what I mean, right? And I was like, this was really early in my Christian life. And, oh, I thought of a word, comfortable. That, that'll work, comforter. And that was probably the... A bulk of the folks had comforter, but I remember, I remember some of them were guide, some of them were helper. The one I remember most vividly is somebody said, eliminator. And I kind of like that. Yeah, the Holy Spirit does eliminate. He'll eliminate a lot of things in, 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 our, in our lives. But So I like the word comforter. That's probably my favorite. Everyone else is right on, indwelling, guide, encourager, helper. I'm not sure what all were said. We have to get the context here, and, I, and there's, it's impossible for me in a few minutes to, to capture the context of the disciples who, who, who basically left it all and followed Christ. And now he said, I'm going. And this is a couple nights before the Passover. He says, I'm leaving. In John chapter 15, if you summarize it, the first couple of verses are saying, now you're going to bear fruit. Verses 8 through 11 says, you're going to be secure in my love. You, just my love, if you keep my commandments. Verses 12 to 17, you're my friends. I could call you servant, me Lord, but I'm just going to call you friends. And then, the crux of the context is in 25, I'm sorry, 18 to 25. Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before I hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. So the, my first point about the Holy Spirit's work is comfort. He comforts. And uh, hear, hear me out. I'm wondering if we live in an era where the comfort of the Holy Spirit is maybe not something that we are diligently pressing into. And I'll tell you why. Go back, in, go back with me into history. Go back with me into the, 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 the first let's say 100 years of the, of the church after Pentecost and watch the blood flow. 
And I, the last thing I want to do is glorify persecution or raise up a standard. But I do want to say, Jesus said the world hated him. And if the world hated him, the world will hate you. And I ask myself, and I ask you, the hatred of the world, do you feel it? Do I feel it? Jesus, why did they hate him? He was kind. You know, the buzzword today is the love of Jesus, the love, the kindness of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus. And he was. I long to be like Jesus 100% of the time. Kind, caring, sitting down with the woman at the well, sitting down with or meeting Nicodemus at night or, or, or taking time to, 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 to call out the man in the tree. And even sitting and eating with those that are out, down and out. But you know, Jesus, to him there was only one way, not two. To Jesus there was two builders. One, one was right, one was wrong. No apologies. There was ten virgins, five were wise, five were foolish. He was not tolerant. He did not lower a standard to be kind. He never ever tolerated sin. He addressed it kindly, kindly, compassionately. I just want to, I want to be like Jesus. We live in a, we live in a, in a tolerant era. We live a, I believe we live in an era that worships tolerance. In fact, intolerance is the only idea that's not tolerated, Right? The early church was hated. They were visible. You could identify them. Then came Constantine. You know history? 313 AD. He married or wedded the church and the state. And now, now he's going to protect. Everybody's Christian. Even he got his soldiers to march through the army, and that was their baptism. And now everybody's Christian. And now in the name of Christianity, we go out and conquer. What happened? Did it work? Seventeen hundred years later, here we are. James says, "Friendship with the world is enmity with God." And I don't know. Maybe we will see the day where the hatred will become more obvious. I'm not suggesting that the comfort of the Holy Spirit is not very real to us, but I'm, I'm, my concern for my own life is, has tolerance affected me? That I am not courageous to say there's one way. Truth is truth. I wonder what would happen if someone would say, to the President of the United States today that it is unlawful for him to have his third wife. I wonder what would happen. I say that carefully, I say that respectfully. Do you know what I, do you, know, do you, do you feel my heartbeat? 
I wonder what tolerance has affected me. I appreciate the values that he stands for. Don't get me wrong. But I'm concerned about what, how, how tolerance could have affected me. What the Bible says, do I stand on it as true? Or have I become a friend of the world? Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Well, the Holy Spirit comforts. Secondly, he will convict of sin. This is the verse I really wanted. In John 16, in verse 7, it says, it's better expedient for you that I go. In other words, Jesus says, you are better off if I go away. In verse 7, I will send the Holy Spirit. When When he comes, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. So, and I, I, I recently made this statement. How do you identify the work of the Holy Spirit in your life or someone else? If I would tell you to find me somebody that you would, you would say has evidence of the Holy Spirit, what would you look for? What would I look for? Now, This fruit of the Spirit would be a good place to start. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith. I like to call the verses that I just read Holy Spirit 101. The very basics about the Holy Spirit. I think this is one of some of the first teachings that the disciples had on what the Holy Spirit is. And it's conviction of sin. You know where I come out? Show me a person that says, I sinned. To me... That is the greatest evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit. Nobody and nobody press them, charge them. Not only that, a, a, a hatred for sin in their own life, but a hatred for sin in others too. Now this, this involves extreme caution. But I believe, I believe a Holy Spirit-filled person cannot tolerate sin. He will reprove the world of sin. I, I think it's John MacArthur says, we often use this verse to, we, we, we use these verses to, to talk about how the Holy Spirit works in lives of unbelievers. But he said, really, this is about the Holy Spirit working through the believers and pointing out or reproving sin in the world. Jesus isn't going to do it anymore. Now it's, my, now it's up to the church. Now it's, yes, the Holy Spirit does convict and work in life, but we come along and help the conviction with the spoken word. I'm so guilty. The Holy Spirit will reprove the world of what's wrong, sin, what's right. You know, we don't have the standard Jesus here anymore. So now the world should look at you, just like they looked at Jesus, full of grace and truth. Now the standard is in you and in me. That's... And then judgment. He had to say that in there yet. Sin, righteousness, in other words, what's wrong, what's right, and what's going to happen. And when's the last time that I stood up and said, here's what's going to happen to a lost and dying world. You know where you're going. Sin of righteousness of judgment. Well, it's time to close. The third one is the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. That's in verse 13. 
Mike had a devotional the other week, and he used the phrase that I have not shaken. He said, I wish we had a truth filter. Dawned on me. We do. We got it. He will guide us into all truth. He said it. I wish it would be a little more clear that it would always come out, okay, this is wrong, this is right, especially in what we're dealing with in these, this hour day. But there is some, there, there's, there's a power working in us that will always point you to truth. Now, I wish I always knew everything right at the time. But you, give, you just sincerely follow Christ, and I think you'll look back and you'll see God's guidance, his wind blew you. And you got, yeah, you went this way, you went that way, you kept going astray, but there's a guiding force, and he guided you into all truth, and it's primarily through the word. Lastly, he will always glorify Jesus, always. Verse 14, actually verses 13 and 14, he will glorify me. The Holy Spirit, I get, I get very uncomfortable when too much emphasis is on the, 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 uh, the Holy Spirit. I hear I must have a message on the Holy Spirit. Is that ironic? But I, I hope you know what I'm saying. Sometimes there's movements that Jesus is secondary to the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will always glorify Jesus. Show me a person that's all about Jesus more in lifestyle, message, the pattern is so clear and correct. And I'll, I'll show you a person that is filled with the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 is another good one. If you're making notes, go down through Romans 8 and you'll see that there's no condemnation to a spirit-filled person. That he's mortifying the deeds of the flesh through the spirit, of the spirit of God. And if you don't have the Spirit, you're none of His. I like to make that clear. If you don't have the Spirit, you're none of His. You can go to Romans 8 to find that. The Ro Romans 8 also says that the Spirit bears witness in our spirit that we're the children of God. The Spirit also groans within, eagerly waiting for the redemption of the body. Oh, I'm just so thankful for the Holy Spirit. But it is possible for you and for me to resist Him, to grieve Him, and to quench Him. You know the story of Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton, all you folks that are doing U.S. history right now. That was a sad day where Alexander Hamilton and, and Aaron Burr met. They were politicians that just hated each other. And then one day they said, we're going to have it out. And they did. They met with pistols. You know the story? Alexander Hamilton shot up into the tree. The branch broke. Aaron Burr took his gun and shot Alexander Hamilton. He died the next day. That's a sad story in the United States history. But you know what's much sadder than that story? Aaron Burr confesses that one day he was in a revival meeting at Princeton University, and the Spirit of God was convicting him so much that he couldn't take it anymore. He went out. And he went out of the, out of the, 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 the building, and he looked up to God, and he said, God, leave me alone! Aaron Burr's granddaughter came to him later in life and said, Grandpa, I just became a Christian. Aaron Burr said, One day, and he recounted the story, and he's telling his granddaughter, I told God, leave me alone. And then he said, and God did. I don't think one of us here has pointed up to heaven and said, God, leave me alone. 
but I'm, I'm calling us, all of us, to take the gentle wooings of the Holy Spirit very, very seriously and endearing. And when the Holy Spirit is working in your life, whether it's set for salvation or whether it's convicting of sin, if, if I believe that if we don't heed and we resist him, we grieve him. And you know what happens when a person is grieved? When I am grieved, I don't really feel like going and talking to somebody because I'm grieved. And I'm not saying the Holy Spirit just, you know, let's, well, maybe I am. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. I'm calling us to, to dismiss from this assembly with a, just a burning appreciation for God's Spirit and His work in our hearts and in our lives. It's a gift. You can't buy it. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. Repent. Believe in Jesus. Follow Him. I'll guarantee you're going to have the Holy Spirit. And there will be times where you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what we should be. Uh, as we grow, we're born of the Spirit. We learn to walk in the Spirit. And we should be uh, engaged of all our capacity, be empty of self and full of the Spirit. And you'll be amazed what God can do in our lives. So that's just a little bit on Pentecost and the Holy Spirit. And I hope, hopefully, it's an encouragement all of us listen and listen carefully to the Holy Spirit. He will melt us, He will mold us, He will use us. Sylvan, I'm going to put you on the spot. You probably have a song all ready to go. Could we sing the, the chorus, Spirit of the Living God, fall afresh on me, mold me, melt me, use me? Is that how it goes? Let's all stand together out of a prayer. We'll dismiss with that song. That will be our concluding conclusion of the, of the service. Father in heaven, thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit. We need to be melted. We need to be molded. We want to be used. We pray, God, that you would just make us such a passionate group of people for Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus, adhering to every one of his teachings, and then we thank you for the treasure that we have in us, the work of the Holy Spirit. Make us a blessing to many. In Jesus' name, amen.